What's up, Dashley fam? Today we are sitting down with one of Ashley's favorite Instagrammers, somebody she really looks up to. It is Susie Allison of Busy Toddler. If you watch our vlogs or see our Instagram, you see a lot of activities that we do from her. Susie is all about helping families find the best ways to navigate toddlerhood without relying on TV and other gadgets. First, we dive into how Susie grew her Instagram and her website to be as big as it is today and some inspiring stories there. And then we dive into parenting. She answers some of our questions. She shares her top tips for keeping toddlers engaged and learning, parenting hacks, how she handles it all while balancing a relationship with her husband and much more. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Susie Allison of Busy Toddler. Okay, we're here with Susie Allison, who if you watch our vlogs, if you listen to our podcast, you know she is my mom mentor. We've talked so much about her and sent so many of you guys to her awesome website, Busy Toddler, for preschool tips, activity tips, her little catchphrase is making it to nap time, one activity at a time. And we just are so excited to have you, Susie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm totally fangirling over here. And Dallin is like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen you look at her Instagram. I'm excited to talk to her, too, I guess. Susie, you have... I mean, if you want me to, like, take it down a peg, I mean, I'm a mom sitting in my closet right now talking to my phone. Hey, we <laughs> I'm all nothing fancy have... over here. <laughs> where, first off, where are, you, uh, where are you from? Where are you, where are you calling from right now? I'm in um, outside Seattle. That's where I was born and raised. I've lived here my whole life. Seattle is home. It is not as rainy usually as it is right now. It's a disaster right now, but oh, I love it and I'm so used to it. We love it there. We've been there only a few times, but man, it's just like a different kind of beautiful. We go back and forth it on is. whether or not we should move there. We have. I have one of my best friends lives in Bainbridge Island. And we went there last yes. year for the first time. And we're just like, why do we live where we live when <laughs> there's so places like this? Seattle is such a magical place and we take it such for granted. Like I stand in the middle of my town and I'm like, OK, well, there's a mountain 45 minutes that way. There's a ski area 45 minutes that way. I could take a ferry 20 minutes that way and I could be in a major metropolitan city 25 minutes the other way. And, it's so nuts. Cool. and we think that this is normal life around here. Man. Yeah. Jealous. Yeah. We don't even have a right to be jealous, though. Dallin and I are full time doing like this whole Dashley thing. So now we're in this place where it's like literally just 100 percent on us why we live where we live. And we just can't. Maybe we'll be neighbors someday. It's Who just, knows? I, know. I was going to say, I mean, my neighbor's house just went on the market. If you guys want to come on out here, I can get you hooked up with a great neighborhood. I would die. I would love to be a part <laughs> of street dinner so badly. Oh, that'd be street awesome. dinners are the best. I tried starting it with my neighbors and they were like, well, we don't really want to do once a week. So maybe once uh. like every holiday. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <sighs> no worries. Uh. Um, so we just wanted to start, Dallin and I have shared a lot on this podcast, like kind of how we got started, how we kind of stopped doing the normal job and became the Dashleys. And I just wanted to kind of hear your story, like how you went from a, you were a teacher. Did you teach kindergarten? I did. I taught kindergarten and then first grade. Yeah, I was a kindergarten teacher too. And I student taught first grade, how you went from being a kindergarten teacher and maybe even how you became a kindergarten teacher and then how you morphed into a stay-at-home mom and then how you morphed into the busy toddler empire. So I like to joke that for my entire life up until this point, I was kind of one of those like a jack of all trades, master of none. And mm -hmm. I was just collecting little skills and I didn't realize that all those little skills were going to end up 
coming together to mean I would have this really successful career as a blogger and an Instagrammer. That was not on my radar because it didn't exist when I started doing everything that I started doing. Totally. So I went to college to be a journalist. I wanted to write and be a journalism major, and I loved it. I loved photography. I loved telling stories. And pretty quickly, I rose to the ranks at my Division II college. And by age 20, I was already the editor-in-chief of our college newspaper. Wow. And it was amazing, but I realized really quickly that what I loved about journalism wasn't telling other people's stories. It was telling my story and helping other people learn how to write. I found this passion for teaching. So when I was 20, I did an abrupt you know, 180, <laughs> and I switched to elementary education, and I went right into teaching as soon as I graduated. And I just, I loved teaching. And as I was teaching, I developed such a passion for using hands-on learning for kids. And I took this path in teaching where I switched into being a curriculum specialist. And I started helping teachers in my district learn how to teach math and reading more effectively. And it was an amazing time in my life. And then I became pregnant with Sam and I knew my next dream was to stay home with him full time. So I had him in May of 2013, and I headed home, and home is where I was. We found out we were surprise pregnant with Kate the following year, which was a shock to my life. That's totally our story. It was amazing. I No one ever saw Kate coming, but that's kind of how Kate is. So once you know her, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You were coming no matter what. That's awesome. And I found myself with a 20-month-old and a newborn, and I was drowning. In my head, I felt like I was the only person that had ever had two kids under two, even though I know that's ridiculous. And I was standing in my kitchen one night, and I decided I was going to make a gourmet dinner. You know, I'm postpartum (laughs) from a C-section. I have a newborn. I have a 20, well, at the time, 21-month-old. And I get this idea that I'm going to make this Martha Stewart dinner and this is going to be amazing, and this is going to, like, set myself back on, like, this path of being who I was before I'd gotten pregnant, you know, before I'd had Kate. Right. And literally, as the dinner is burning on the stove, and Sam is pulling out every kitchen utensil from the drawer, and I believe he even, he knew this was a sinking ship, and, like, I'm going to help mommy as best I can, and I (sighs) turned, and I dropped my cell phone in the sink of dirty dishwater. And I pulled it out and I remembered, you know, you have to toss your phone in rice. Right. And I ripped open a bag of brand new rice and I tossed it in and I just, (laughs) I hump and I crumpled to the floor and I just sobbed there because the weight of the world was just crashing down around me and Sam's like rubbing my back and, you know, it's okay, mommy. And a couple days later, you know, everything was okay and I cut myself a lot of slack and, you know, I wish I'd had someone to teach me about survival mode back then, but I figured it out and I was looking at this bin of rice. And I was like, gosh, what am I going to do with this? You know, now it's dirty. I can't cook with this. And I just kind of vaguely remember, you know, the church basement always had a sensory bin. I didn't know it was called a sensory bin then, but I figured I could use this rice. And so I went and grabbed an old under the bed storage tub that, you know, we had full of garbage from college and uh-huh. I dumped it out and I dumped it in, in the rice and I threw in some kitchen utensils and I just kind of set Sam in it and was like, and play. And he did for a long time, longer than I ever thought. And it slowly gave me these ideas like, you know, I should be doing stuff with him during nap time because Daniel Tiger is parenting him. And, um, (laughs) you know, as wonderful as Mother Tiger is, like I, I can do a better job, you know, marginally better job than her. And I wanted this time to kind of reconnect with my little buddy. And so I started coming up with activities for him to do and scouring Pinterest. But everything I was finding on Pinterest was like, well, go to Hobby Lobby, go to Michael's, get 47 supplies 
guys. It'll take you five hours to prep, but your kid will play with it for like 15 minutes and it's totally worth it. Right. And I was like, this is not meant for me. I need to just use what I have, what's free. And so on a whim one morning in June, I opened up Instagram and I started looking for toddler activities and there wasn't really anything on Instagram at the time. And I don't know why the name Busy Toddler popped in my head, but I was like, oh, I wonder if anybody's ever taken that name and nobody had. So I grabbed it. And from day one, I was just really intentional that I was going to post a really easy toddler activity using stuff you had around your house. And I thought, you know, if I can get 100 people following me by the end of June, then I'll know that that there's a need for this, for other people need this. And by the end of June, I had 2,000 followers and my life was forever changed. That was the beginning of, you know, the end of my former life and the beginning of me being busy toddler. It was That's incredible. So cool. What was going through your mind, uh, like, like when you saw that goal that you had of 100 followers just be wildly blown out of the water? Like, like what did you think? I Like mid-month when I had hit like four or 500, I started to realize like, this is real. Like this is happening. This ball got rolling. Yeah. Were you and like, I don't even know just, these people. I know. And I was. And I was like, how is this? And I was like, I really did find something that other people needed. And I think in that moment, the biggest thing I felt was that I wasn't alone. And I think that's the thing that we struggle with the most in parenting is this feeling that we're the only one doing it and we're isolated. And by putting out these activities, I instantly found out that there were other people that were struggling to make it to nap time and that were maybe using screens more than they wanted to. And I found out that I wasn't the only mom facing a lot or the only parent facing a lot of these issues. And I remember mid-month telling my dad finally about it. And he started looking up you know, my website, the URL, things like that. And he says, and the URL, someone was cyber squatting on it, which is where you steal URLs that you think might be popular someday. And it was $700 to buy the name busytoddler.com. And I didn't have that kind of money. And my dad said, look, I'll make you a bet. When you hit 10,000, I'll buy you this URL. And in August, when I'd hit like 7,000 followers, so just over the summer, I'd ballooned to 7,000. He said, this is a foregone conclusion. Here's your website. You oh, know, nice. Do, wow. do everything with it. And it was just this overwhelming sense of belief from my dad. You know, yeah, and what I a did cool odd jobs from for him. Dad. It was. And I did odd jobs for him all summer. I painted his gutters with a baby strapped to my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Helped him out as best I could to like, you know, kind of like repay this money that I essentially owed him. Um, but no, it was an overwhelming support. And it was something he saw right away that he's like, this is going to be something insane. And um, right around that same time, my mom said to me, she said, someday you're going to be on Good Morning America and I'm going to come with you. And I was like, okay, mom, I love you so no, I much. I saw when you and went then, on. I was like, Dallin, busy toddlers on when TV. when we went... Yeah, when we went to Good Morning America then back in November and I called her and I said, do you remember when you said that? She said, yeah, I remember when I said that. I said, pack your bags, Marilyn. We are going to New York. Cool. That's so and it was awesome. insane. It that was so, insane. so cool. I hear your story and I almost feel like you're like speaking the words out of my mouth. Like why we started this vlog. I was a kindergarten teacher and I was so excited to quit my job and be a stay-at-home mom. And then when I got home, I just felt like the world had forgotten me and that I had all of these like cool skills and things that I had learned as a teacher and just like throughout my life. And I wanted to use them somehow. And there just weren't a ton of outlets with my little 
you know, like I had an 18 month old yeah. and a newborn and they don't always appreciate all of my skills. And like they spend no, they don't. 60% of the day being like angry at me for just trying to be their sweet mom. So we started this little vlog and it became my lifeline to society. And as we grew and as people would watch us and say like, oh, Ashley, like I totally relate to you and I'm living your the same life. And like what you guys are doing inspires us or helps us not feel alone in being a, a little family with kids. Like it helps us not feel forgotten by the world. It just kind of spurred us on and gave us hope and encouragement. Um, there was a lot of hard times. It took a lot of bravery to do it. And I'm sure on your part, it took a lot of bravery to kind of step out there yes. and post on your Instagram these activities and hope your friends didn't think you were like a weirdo or something. <laughs> um but I do know that there's a, a lot of moms, especially out there, who who have chosen to be stay-at-home moms or who are spending so much of their time being a mom who also have kind of a dream to start something. And you are so like incredibly successful. You've taken your dream to the stars and back. Like, What advice would you give to those people? Like, What advice do you wish you had had from someone who was you know, on social media or had started their own business and, and, and walked by you and saw you starting something? What do you wish someone would have told you? I think one of the most important things when you're starting out and you're trying to create and put yourself out there on social media is to remember that you need to figure out what you're searching for. What is it that's missing that you're not finding out there? What is not making you complete? And so for me, I was struggling to find easy activities to do with my toddler and I was struggling to find them on Instagram. And so I found this kind of space in social media where something was missing. And so, and it turned out it was missing for a lot of other people. So what I would say to someone thinking about starting on social media or starting to try to grow a brand is first to remember that you are growing a brand and you want to be true to yourself and true to who you are. You don't need to be anything else. There was a time with Busy Toddler where it was like, well, I guess I could put up recipes and stuff. And I said, no, that's that's not who I am. I'm activities. I like activities. And I just, I stayed in my lane. So find your lane and find your passion. Find what it is that's missing and mm -hmm push that into the space because if it's missing for you, it's probably missing for someone else. And so you can be that person that fills that void. Stay tuned for more Big Little Life with the Dashleys. We are supported by BetterHelp. You guys know that Ashley and I are all about improving ourselves and our mental health and the health of our relationship. And BetterHelp is an online option where you can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. You can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions. You can even chat and text with your therapist. There are over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states specializing in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, anything you share is confidential. This is available worldwide and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. There is financial aid available for those who qualify. It's secure, it's convenient, and it's professional and affordable. It's especially affordable for you guys, Big Little Life with the Dashes listeners, because you'll get a 10% off your first month coupon code with discount code Dashleys. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash Dashleys. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you will love. That's betterhelp.com slash Dashleys. So you're the queen 
of activities and the queen in my mind at Hardly. least of like toddler learning and so in our vlog a lot I show a lot of what I'm doing with with our little boy George for at home preschool and I show a lot of the little activities I'm doing and I get so many questions um like about like what am I doing and and then people ask me what they should do for their child and and I always refer them back to you. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of let you tell the world, like you have a toddler, you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old or an 18-month-old, like what's the best things in your mind to be doing with them at home as far as prepping them for life, prepping them socially or prepping them like for kindergarten? I get that one a lot. How do I get my kid ready for kindergarten? Yeah, so I think for me, the all of early learning in early childhood boils down to three things. I call them the big three, and that's play, reading, and conversation. And as long as we're checking off those boxes each day, we are literally doing the best job we can possibly be doing for our children. We want to give them ample time for play, open-ended, independent, free play. And we want to be reading to them as much as possible. We want books out. We want them to look at us while we're reading. We want them in our laps while we're reading. We want reading to be something that they're just completely immersed in and that language that they're going to be hearing. And then we want to have conversations with them. Even if they're not talking back to us yet, we can narrate our entire day. We can give them so many language skills just by talking to them. With learning today, we've gotten this big focus and this big push on kindergarten readiness and helping kids to be kindergarten ready. And what I wish I could challenge all parents to do is to kind of flip that narrative around on focusing on your child being kindergarten ready and instead focus on them being life ready. And we help our children be life ready by developing their kind of emotional and their social and their life skills. Because kindergarten is just a really small piece of who they'll be for their entire life. And early childhood is such an amazing window to learn these soft skills, we call them. Soft Mm -hmm. skills like self-motivation and resilience and empathy and things like that. So the greatest thing that we can focus on in early childhood is growing them as a person. And we can do that looping back to play, reading, and conversation we can help our kids so much to develop into the people that they're going to become past kindergarten into their adult life and beyond if we just focus on helping them have time to play and to read to them and to give them a world of conversation where they can learn so many social skills just by interacting with us. Mm -hmm. Play, reading, and conversation. Can you you speak on play a little bit more? I think Um, people get confused and they think, oh, we're wasting time with play or, oh, this isn't valuable or we should be like learning letters more. Like, do you have any hard hitting, like, I know you were a a teacher of teachers. Like, oh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. What would you, what, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What I always tell people is I say, you know, Mr. Rogers taught us that play is the work of childhood. And we all know that guy was not going to lie to us. And (laughs) he was true and he was serious. And it's, There is a mountain of research from years before me for the last 40 years showing us that children learn best through play, that this kind of idea that we need to sit kids down and flashcard them or put them in front of computer screens to learn their letters and numbers, that that, that's not going to be the most effective way to have a child learn. A child learns through play. They learn through hands-on experiences. They learn by just living in the world around them. And when we take a child out of play and we put them in what we call kind of like a direct instruction learning environment where we sit them down and we say, well, we're going to intentionally learn the alphabet today. 
When you take a child and you set them down, you say, well, today we're going to intentionally just sit and focus on the alphabet. You've taken that child out of play where they might have learned the alphabet better on their own and at a time that's more developmentally appropriate for them. Because we, what we want to do is we always want to honor who the child is. And there's this massive spectrum that kids learn the ABCs on from age two to around age six. And your child might learn them at two and they might not learn them until kindergarten. And that's okay. Because what we want to do is we just want to honor who the child is. When we think back to our kids learning how to walk We didn't sit them down and flashcard them about walking and show them a really great show about walking and, oh, here's a computer program that's going to help you be a better walker. We trusted the child and we trusted who they are on the inside and we trusted all those motor skill development that we can't see on the outside. We trusted it was happening and we watched as they sat up and then they pulled themselves up and they did that, you know, cute little thing where they like scoot down the couch back and forth. And then eventually they stand up on their own and they start walking and it's an amazing process to watch. And we know that some kids are going to walk at nine months old and some kids are going to walk at 15 months old, but that doesn't mean the child that walked earlier is going to be a better walker in life. Right. Just means that that's when their body was ready to learn it. And that's okay. And I think that there's this big push right now with kids that we want them to do everything earlier, that earlier is better. And earlier just isn't better when it comes to our children, letting them learn on their own time and letting them learn at their own rate. That's the best thing we can do. And just be there and be supportive and watch as this amazing process unfolds and know that the best thing that we can be doing in early childhood is helping them develop as a whole person. That's so good to hear because like with us being like YouTubers and putting our family out there, so many people are naturally comparing their kids to our kids. And we get messages all the time saying like, um, like our George is the same age as, as my boy and George seems to be talking a lot better or reading a lot better or this or that. And for he one, like read. it's for <laughs> one, it's uh, like George doesn't read, but like he recognizes color, stuff like that. And for one, it's <laughs> right. like edited all trimmed down. So it may seem like George is talking a whole bunch, but that's like spread over a whole day. But also just what you said, just comparing is bad and let the child develop on their own pace. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Well, I say, it. yeah, we, oh, sorry. I just tell no, people you, like you go, he, he is super verbal, but like he's really high in that in that area but there's a ton of other areas where he's like normal toddler or maybe below what what maybe their child would be as far as like emotional and you know like monitoring his own emotions and and communication and all that stuff so he like I think every kid kind of has their where they leap and and kind of where they lag and where they're kind of average and it, and it's just different for every kid It's so different for every kid, and it's different within a family. I have an oldest son who was a quick memorizer, and he still is very quick to memorize things. Uh, Learning facts comes very easy to him. And when you think about learning the alphabet or learning letters or shapes, um, numbers, that's all memorized skills. And so he took to that really young, and he kind of had these great party trick skills where it's like, he's 22 months old, and he knows every letter, and he knows all the sounds, and he can match stuff. And it was a great party trick skill. Um, you know, sadly, nobody's going to a party and being like, look how great my kid self-regulates. That's not happening. <laughs> right. right. They're not like, oh, you, know, you we, we really smart baby. <laughs> we focus so much on these academic skills as like this is the, you know, outward proof that we're doing a great job as a parent. Like this is the only way that we can show that our children are doing great. And it's such an illusion. 
the the best thing we can be doing for our, our child is just developing who they are as a person. And so my oldest son, he learned letters and things at 22 months old. He learned them early. It doesn't mean that he was an early reader. It, that's a very complicated skill. It takes an incredible amount of brain development and is so much more than some basic memorization. Mm-hmm. And it took, you know, he's in kindergarten right now. He's six and a half. He's learning how to read. He's in that process right now. And then my youngest son, I mean, he's three and a half. And I'm going to go with he knows, let's say, 18 of his letters right. and a couple of sounds. But he's also my most musical kid, and he's my most um, gross motor skill advanced child. He runs, jumps. He throws better than the six-year-old throws. But again, nobody's looking at that and saying, well, that means that, you know, he's going to do really great in life because, you know, he can, you know, handle uh, riding a scooter younger mm-hmm. than the six-year-old. They look more at what the a 22-month-old doing letters and they think, well, that's, see, that's proof that he's going to be really smart. And it's like, no, it's, it's proof that he was great at memorizing. And that's really awesome that he, he's great at memorizing. And that's kind of the end of that skill. And we, we need to look at the whole child instead of just that one tiny area. And we don't need to be hanging our hat or our confidence as a parent or our self-esteem or self-worth of the child based on where the child is at on these very basic academic skills. No, I totally agree. I would have so many. Well, and another thing, like kindergarten hits kids hard, like academically it hard. I, I, when I, it does. When I started teaching kindergarten, I thought it would be like my kindergarten. And I thought we'd be making puppets and like hatching chickens eggs and going on oh nature gosh, walks. That would be amazing. I know. Like that was my kindergarten. <laughs> to go back in time. Like, I know. Send me back. <laughs> right. And then I became a kindergarten teacher. And there were times where I felt bad for these kids trying to like, It was the sixth week of school and I was trying to teach these little five-year-olds how to break apart the number five and they just couldn't cognitively understand how to do that skill. And I could teach, I taught, I were, we like, we worked on it all year and they, it just finally clicked at the end of the year. And that was just when their brains were kind of developmentally there and it was just hard to hammer it into them all year when we could have just waited and done it at the end of the year. Um, And like, unfortunately, there's like common core standards and there's a whole schedule that you kind of have to stick to as a teacher and you can't make those decisions anymore for yourself. But I think like I I love your site because it just encourages parents just to let them be little and to let them be kids because they're in a world where that's not really an acceptable thing for very long. And I want to just let parents have a chance to play with that learning. You know, if your child has learned their letters, well, here's a fun way to play with it and to, you know, help the child just have something fun to do. And here's a sensory bin that's going to help develop different skills that, you know, maybe aren't academic skills and art and different things like that. I just want to give parents tools for things to do with their children so that we're not so focused by this quote unquote burden that's been put on our generation to have these super kids that can meet all these super expectations that have been put down by the common core standards. And, you know, I I try to tell people how much this is not teachers. This is policy and it's politics and it's hard on our kids what's being asked of them in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. But the best way that we can help a child be successful in kindergarten is not front loading them on a bunch of academic skills. It's teaching them how to think and helping them reason and giving them self-confidence and helping them be motivated to learn, helping them learn to ask questions and to be curious. Those are the things, if we can help a child learn to do those things in early childhood, that's going to help carry them up any academic mountain that they're going to face so much more than memorizing the ABCs early. I had so many parent-teacher conferences where I would have parents come in and be like, my child isn't memorizing all the sight words well enough, or they're not 
they're they're too disruptive in class like they would get little reports home or their kid would tell them that they had a hard time or or I would have to send like a letter home and be like oh please talk to them about this like we're struggling a little bit like let's work together and the parents would come in Mm -hmm. so discouraged and I would just sit there and I'd be like listen like I'm not your child's expert you are and also like these skills where they're not flourishing in a public school environment doesn't mean that they won't flourish outside of public school once they're done. Public school is so much a learning a learning thing, and that's what kindergarten is so much for, learning how to do school. Um, and it's, I just, I, I want the parents to know, like, if, don't squash those things in your child. Don't squash their, like, headstrongness and their independence and their ability to talk to anyone. Like, those aren't necessarily bad things once you're out of school. That's what everyone wants of you once you enter an environment to work in. So it's just kind of like a a crazy balancing act trying to help them through school, but also to help them stay true to themselves and not become kind of these repressed little souls that they might become. Yeah. One of the things I've been toying around with lately that's kind of been on my heart is this idea that when we as adults go to job interviews, the things that we're asked about are those soft skills. You know, we're asked, how do we work in a group? What do you do when conflict comes up. We're never asked, how old were you when you learned the alphabet? Or how young were you when you started reading? We're asked those really high level skills. You know, what, how do you, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? Or how motivated are you? What carries you? Give me an example of a time where you've been a leader. Absolutely. And that's what we are asked about in adult life. And it's so interesting to me that in adult life, we know to value who the person is more than who they are or when they learned academics. But with children, it's become increasingly harder to make that distinction and to kind of flip that amount of thinking. We so overvalue the academics a child has rather than valuing just who the child is. And I think the best thing that we can do for that is, like you said earlier, just developing their play, giving them a chance to learn how to play and to play by themselves or to play, you know, in a group, play outside, play everywhere. I the more we can value play, the better our children will be. Are you, do you plan on sending your kids to public school or are you going to homeschool? Ashley was homeschooled and I don't know if we've honestly decided what, what our plan is. We go back and forth. Yeah. What I've sent Sam, Sam is currently in public kindergarten and he's doing fine. Like I said, he's a great kid at memorizing. So in that kind of memorization environment, he's doing just fine. We also delayed kindergarten for him. So he's essentially the age of a first grader, but doing kindergarten materials, which for me balances out how rigorous it is. Yeah, which is um, appropriate. My, All my older kids who had the late birthdays always did so much better than the kids with the early yeah. birthdays. Especially with the way that standards have changed, you know, kids who weren't held back in the 80s, you know, some of them did just fine. And that's great. But nowadays, with the way the standards are, it's just so important to remember that kindergarten isn't the way that it was when we were kids. And so to really check in and look at what it's going to look like for your child when they get there. So for me, it's really laid on my heart right now to try to figure out a way to help fix the way that the standards are and the way that schooling is for our children right now. And I feel like I can best serve people if my kids are in public school. So that's why we've chosen at this point, you know, and I never say anything's nothing's permanent. So at this point, we've chosen public school for them. Awesome. No, I think I'm really, I, I hear you say that on your Instagram or I see you say that on your Instagram all the time. And I like I just get this like feeling in my heart that you're going to do something great or like make a big wave that kind of crashes through the whole system. 
I mean, I feel like I can't have been put here with such an amazingly strong community and a community that's so passionate about this and then sit back and do nothing. I feel like there is something that we can all do and we just have to all band together and mm-hmm. we'll be able to stand up. And I, I do. I just feel so strongly that we're going to be the generation of parents that changes some things that are happening. And it might not change in time for our kids, but we can fix it for our grandkids. No, I think and that's We're so on board awesome. with you. We want to help. Honestly, Susie, you just have to like, <laughs> Thank you. let people know on your Instagram like what you want them to I, do. And they'll, they'll like I, storm the schools. <laughs> I always say I'm going to send up a dot sticker shaped bat signal. And that's how we'll all know to unite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. We'll storm, we'll storm the, the capitals. Uh-huh. Okay. Figure out how to fix this. When you talked about dot stickers just then, I had a question I wanted to ask you. So for people listening who have never tried any of your activities... What is like the go-to one that you recommend for first-time busy toddler, try, like trying out a first-time activity? What's your? Do you go-to? have like a start here section on your website, or you know, I don't have a start here. I should. Thank you. I'll get right on that. You know, I'll add that. <laughs> get on that next time. <laughs> to my two two post list. I'll dedicate it to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> on, I always recommend people start with a sensory bin because I think that's where you're going to see the most, and I use this loosely, like bang for your buck mm-hmm. is when you do a sensory bin. There is a, a teaching that goes into that. I think we see a sensory bin and we think I'm really going to give a messy kid a bin of mess and you're telling me it's going to be fine, lady on the internet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it really is. And I think sensory bins are something that resonates with children and it has resonated with children for, you know... 30, 40, 50 years. I can't, you know, I'm not sure when they entered every church basement had a cornmeal sensory bin, at least when I was growing up. Yeah. And I, it's just such a beautiful, safe, easy way to see how different your life can be by using an activity. And for me, I always tell parents, activities are bonuses. This isn't something you need to sit down every day and be like, well, we got to get an activity or the lady on the internet says I'm failing my kid. <laughs> because That's not the case. And that's not even how I run my life. I share an activity each day on Instagram because I know people need an activity each day or someone needs an activity. But I use activities as a tool and I use them when I need help, when things aren't going right. Yesterday was a bit of a disaster here and my kids weren't playing well together and they were kind of all on each other. One was trying to reattach their umbilical cord and things were just (laughs) spiraling out of control. And I just I said, you know, let's just stop for a second. And I grabbed out some white butcher paper, which I get from Amazon. Everything's from Amazon. And I drew out some shapes and I let them put dot stickers over the lines. That's it. That's all it was. And it calmed them down for like a good 15, 20 minutes. And it just hit the reset button on our day. I got the dishwasher unloaded. I got the kitchen wiped down. I took a breath. They took a breath from each other. And then we came out of that activity with a better, clearer focus on restarting our time together. I love how... As opposed to me setting them down in front of the TV and asking Ryder and the team of pups to reset it for me. Guilty. Speaking of Paw Patrol... I know. I love how you have new episode viewing parties with your kids. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Of course we do. I mean, is there anything more exciting in childhood than a new episode of Paw Patrol coming out? No, I had never thought... Like, I had never thought to do that with my kids, but it was the cutest idea. I I mean, we celebrate the Oscars and the Super Bowl, so why can't they celebrate? (laughs) Celebrate Paw Patrol. You know, when a new episode drops. I know, Paw Patrol and the latest episode of Blue's Clues. Um, Okay, so I get so, so many questions, um, and I usually direct them to you. I said this already, but I wanted to kind of go through um, like a 
a rapid fire where I kind of ask you okay. the questions that are most often asked to me, and I am not qualified to answer these questions. He's like, I mean, am I qualified to answer them? Well, like, I have an Instagram. Account. I guess you have an, you have a website and stuff, and you have kids. If you've that been are, on Good Morning America. You are qualified. You've done it three okay, times. I am officially qualified. Mm-hmm. I have done it three times, and I'm, I like, we're just in times. the first time where we're like, oh, I hope this doesn't ruin him, or I hope this doesn't fail. But you kind of have like, you know, what it is what. It's so funny because I remember like being three years ago, like being in like 2017 and and being like, what is my Instagram? What is my stuff going to look like three years from now when I'm really running out of toddlers? (laughs) Like we always joked, we're like, do we have a fourth kid just for a blog? Is that like something you do? We did not and we will not. But, (laughs) you know, we were like, gosh, we we are going to run out of toddlers. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to I think there's so much value in hindsight and being able to share from experience. And so I'm so happy that I can look back now and be like, okay, this is what worked. This is what I wish I would have known. This is what would have helped me and try to give that information to kind of help the next group of parents Mm -hmm. who are just in entering the phases that I've maybe already left. And then I'm looking ahead to other friends of mine, you know, who have elementary school kids and middle school kids. And I'm just trying to glean as much information from them as possible Mm -hmm. to continue, you know, stepping forward in this. I'm willing to bet that if you started some sort of like busy elementary age child (laughs) website, new URL, new URL, you can have Have my dad get on. There's probably no cyber squatters on busy elementary age child. (laughs) (laughs) Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. I'm sure people would come over to that as well. Okay, here is the first one. And this is the one where Dal and I are in the thick of it. And I I know you have so many answers because I've read your blog post on that. But what is, what do <laughs> okay. you say to parents entering the potty training situation? Like, what's your Ugh. main three, like top three advice if there's such a thing? Because it is a, a very informative and lengthy blog post that I, it is. But I, I like refer you. to as scripture. But <laughs> like, what would your top, top like tips be for potty training? I think my top tip would be to go in prepared. This is one time in parenting where you cannot fly by the seat of your pants. You need to go in having a really solid game plan and a game plan that also includes a lot of offshoots where you have ideas for different paths you'll take. If this, then this. I'll do this. If they show this, then I'll do this. Mm -hmm. So I would say from experience, do not decide at four o'clock on a Thursday that you're going to potty train your kids starting the next day and then be at Target at 10 o'clock at night trying to buy potty prizes and things like that. I'm speaking from experience. It was not a good situation. We did Do that with George. That I like read your blog post and I was like, I'm never going to be brave enough. I just have to start now. And Talon walked in and he was like, wait, what? What are we doing? I guess we're potty what? training. It's so hard. So we will and definitely I would link also... your because uh, we're just doing like high level stuff. We'll definitely link the all like your website and okay. this blog post specifically and the other ones Thank that we'll you. talk about in the show notes just for everybody listening to the podcast. Thank you. So I would say go in prepared. Have have a really good game plan. And then I would also say carve out the time. If you have a spouse, if you have a partner, Make it a Friday, Saturday, Sunday where you can really all be together. If you can take time off work, awesome. If you can't or your spouse can't, you'll make do. But I would really carve out that time and carve it out significantly so that you can really be there and be in the present. And that means might be cutting off all contact with people for a weekend. I still remember sending an SOS text to my best friend that we needed Happy Meals and I couldn't leave the house and I needed her help and she was there in a half hour so happy to help in any way possible. You know, people are really willing to help if you just reach out to them. 
No, totally. And then the, the third thing I would say is just to do it with fidelity. And that is so hard because sometimes we want to just kind of step our toe into something with parenting or test the waters and see what happens. But this is a big one. And this is one that we need to enter with a very fully and presently and walk into very, very ready to tackle what's about to possibly be thrown at us, um, literally and figuratively. Oh boy. So just be there and be present and, and have your phone turned off and, you know, don't jump ship right away. Give it the, give it a full three, four days before you reevaluate. And then, okay, I'm going to go with a fourth one. Okay. Don't be afraid to stop after three or four days, especially if you have a really, really young toddler. You know, if you have someone under the age of two and things are not working, there is no shame in stopping. Just stop. That's okay. Wait a few months. Try again. It'll look completely different because it's a completely different kids. Yep. hundred percent. Just rest. Start again. But give it the give it a full three days unless you like really are realizing like this is this is not working. (laughs) But you'll know. Yeah, I love that. Um, Your one of your sayings became a mantra for us. It was right. We found you right when our little boy was two and a half and we were. (laughs) wondering like why he suddenly hated us and why he like not hated us but just like where did our sweet baby go we were just like in general what happened like what terrible thing did we do as parents that resulted in a child who acted this way was essentially our thought every time he had a tantrum and that's when i found you and you were doing this whole series on how being two is fine because matt was two at the time And I like just Mm -hmm. turned it down and I was like, she says it's fine. (laughs) Busy toddlers. (laughs) We're not horrible parents. So like every time we went. It's fine. Like it came to my mind every time. And I was like, you're not a failure. Being two is fine. It's just what he's going through. It's developmentally appropriate. Let's build on skills that he might be missing. Can you talk towards that a little bit? Because like help me understand because it was the hardest thing for me when like to understand the two year old mind and. And what's going well, on now, there is like, talk, just talk to that a little bit. In, I'd love to okay. hear whatever you have to say. I, I hate to use the word mistake with parenting, but I'm just going to use it. I'm going to throw it out here. I think one of the biggest mistakes we made, and I'm very guilty of this, especially with my first two, is we expect adult reactions and adult level logic and adult level thinking from someone who's been alive for two years. And I say it in my blog all the time. I have condiments in my fridge that are older than a toddler. (laughs) And that's not like by a long shot. And yet we expect from this person to suddenly they're going to know to use I statements when they're in. They're going to understand, you know, how to not say something hurtful but constructive in an argument. And they're going to understand the difference between a big problem and a small problem. I'm just barely learning how to do that now. I know. A hundred percent. That It's something we learn. I would honestly say in our 30s, we learn that late 20s, 30s into our 40s. We're still learning those skills. And yet we somehow and we all do this. We somehow expect that this tiny person is going to understand the difference between a need versus a want in the toy aisle at Target. And it, and it frustrates us to no end. Mm-hmm. So I think if we can just kind of shift that perspective and say, you know what? It's fine to be too. It's fine to be learning these skills. And the best thing that we can do as parents is to remember during those trying times that this is the moment where they learn 
how to have an argument or how to constructively talk to someone when you disagree. The way that we respond and react to them, that shows them how to respond and react to someone in a tough situation. And so it becomes, well, what do you want them to learn? And I always say that, you know, Matt, right now, Matt's three. I say Matt's three and I'm 36. I had my moment to have a tantrum when I was three. This is his time. And the last thing I need to be doing is adding more logs to his fire. And so instead, I need to be this kind of grounding force that shows him exactly how you are supposed to react when the going gets tough. And I can, you know, validate his feelings. I don't have to agree with them, but I can say, yes, uh uh-huh, I understand. Yes, that silly putty was so important to you. And I can be empathetic. You know, I'm so sorry. And I am. I'm so sorry that you are so beyond your emotions and that you are too and you can't reason. And I'm so sorry. And I can say that. And then later I can have this moment where I can come back to it and I can teach him just a little bit. Hey, when we're in a moment like that, we don't hit. We say, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm upset. And I can just take a second to teach him one single skill later after we've, you know, simmered down instead of kind of trying to like pile it all at once and trying to expect that this child is going to understand why they're not getting a toy today, but they got one last time. Things like that. And just having this idea that it is it is okay that they're learning and it's okay that they have these moments because being two or three or four or five or six or 36, <laughs> it's fine. It, it really is fine. I need Ashley to tell me that. Being 28 is okay. <laughs> I know. Oh gosh, it's okay. Dallin <laughs> says, okay. I have. <laughs> we started the whole being two is fine mantra and Dallin would say to me like, why don't you treat me like you treat George with more like understanding and emotional like breathing room? And I was like, I should. I probably should. I know. We all should. We all should be giving each other way more breathing room than we do. But again, you're only 28. So you, when you get to 36, you'll have much clearer visions of this. We're all You're doing older. it right now to We're me, Susie. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for so the validation. Okay, Susie. <laughs> what in your mind makes a good toy? And in like your opinion, I know your, I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is going to be, but like, where is the best place to get the best toys? So for me, the best toys are the toys that are child operated. When you have a toy that has a battery, specifically a toy that has a battery that you pushing a button, something's flashing, something's doing something for the child, it's talking to the child. Those give this appearance of being academic and they're boxing, the boxes on them say like teaches your child numbers, teaches them this, teaches them that. And, and it's actually, it's very misleading advertising. It pretty much drives me nuts because the toy is doing the learning and the toy is teaching and the, or the toy is doing all the talking, the toy is doing all the work here. And we want to shift that power to the child. There's a reason why wooden blocks have been around for a hundred years because to me, that's like the highest level of of toy. I truly will tell everybody, you need to have a good bag of wooden blocks. If you don't have a good bag of wooden blocks, immediately run out and buy a bag of wooden blocks. And you, a child can play with wooden blocks at two up to my 10-year-old neighbor was over the other day, and he had built a whole thing with wooden blocks. He's 10, but they're still using them. And I think Anytime that you're looking at a toy, you want to ask yourself, who who is operating this toy? Is it the child or is it the toy? 
And then you want to make sure it's an open-ended toy, a toy that can kind of be made into different things. Can this animal, this animal could be the mayor of the town, this animal could be a chef, this animal could be working at the train station. You can kind of twist the toy and make the toy anything that the child wants it to be. We want those toys that they can build with, they can imagine with, they can create with. Um and you can, you know, you can find those toys all around. I, you know, I've always been, I've been an ambassador for five years for Lakeshore Learning. Which and is my like favorite the joy place of my life. in the world. It's my favorite. And it's such an honor to be with them. And we're starting our fifth year. And I, I can't believe that I'm still like getting to be their ambassador because that's who I shopped for when I was a teacher. Yeah. Like as they a were teacher. Like my, it's like. Yeah. The, as a teacher, they were like the place. It's so amazing. One I, day they'll call me and I'll be like, I will do anything for you. (laughs) (laughs) Anything, anything. But I really do. I think if you just go into a toy store and if you can get off of those aisles that have the bright, shiny, flashing toys and you can think about the toys you had as a child and your parents had and your grandparents had, you're, you know, you're looking at the Legos and the wooden blocks and the dolls and a play kitchen, a play kitchen that doesn't have any bells or whistles, just a very stripped down version. Those are going to be the toys that are going to last for your child for years and years. And it becomes really easy to make an investment in, you know, say an $80 toy when you realize that toy is going to be played with for 10 years. That suddenly becomes a really economical toy to buy as opposed to a one and done toy that they're going to play with for, um, you know, the month of December. And then that's the end of it. And you're never going to see it again. It's going to be in the recycle bin by you know, or donated by February. Right. We don't want those toys cluttering our house. I always talk to people about, you know, when you're in a kitchen and you can't find a utensil because it's kind of buried under everything, that's frustrating and we can't get our cooking done. And that's how it is for a child if there's too many toys and they can't find the good stuff. So it's okay to weed out some of that stuff and to donate and to kind of, you know, minimize what we have because that actually helps the child to see the good toys and to get get their play on. I love that so much. I love everything you say, Susie, so much. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay, I wanted to talk about Adventure Days, and I want to kind of talk about, like, oh, why you started Adventure Days, Adventure Days and, and Street Dinner and how you kind of, like, what you, why you, des- like, the, the value of having a community system and, like, a support system yeah. and friends and all of that stuff. Yeah, I you know, we live in a time right now that is – both were in everybody's business all the time on social media, and yet we don't know who our neighbor is to go borrow a cup of sugar. And while we know that we need to be giving our kids experiences out in the world, it can be really daunting and really hard. And then that kind of frustration and that fear that people are watching us, it can take away some of that joy. And it makes us fearful of heading out. So what I want to encourage people to do is to teach yourself and to learn how to take your kids out in public because there is so much value to getting our kids outside and into the world. We emphasize so much in early childhood right now this need to socialize children. Mm -hmm. And we often think that you can only socialize a child by sending them to preschool or to daycare or to put them on a sports team. And that's simply not the case. Our children can socialize just by having to talk to people out in the world or just by being social outside of the house. And we can teach them that by taking them kind of on adventure days. So when I had Sam as a baby, and then when I had Kate and I had a little toddler and a baby, I started trying to teach myself how to take them out. And I would take them to Target and we'd wander the aisles and half the time we wouldn't buy anything. It was just to have something to do. We would go 
just wander Costco. Oh my gosh, wandering Costco became our favorite thing to do, and it gave us a free lunch. So that was a win. <laughs> That's and why we got there it. There are five times a week. Yeah, hundred percent. I have so many pictures of us at Target during those or at Costco during those years, and you can see it's an empty cart. They're in an empty cart. And we're just kind of wandering around looking at stuff and eating the food. And then we would go back home and it would give us a really nice break from the day. And so I started teaching myself how to do those. And then little by little, I started experimenting with, can I take them on kind of bigger adventures? And can I take them to the zoo once a week? Because after you take them to the zoo, you're exhausted. But it's also the most proud you'll ever feel of yourself when you take your kids somewhere by yourself and you do it. And it is exciting. And I want people to understand that everybody's going to have a different comfort zone and everyone's going to take their kids to different places. I love taking my three kids to the zoo. My husband would never do that. He would never take our three kids to the zoo. It's not his comfort zone. He will take them to the Museum of Flight any day of the week. I cannot think of a worse place to take my three children. (laughs) And yet he will happily take them and does about once a month down there. And I mean, I think it's the most boring place on the face of the earth. They love it. He loves it. Everybody's happy. And again, I can't imagine going there. We have the same children and we have different comfort zones on where we will take our kids by ourselves. I also think that there is so much value when we go out in public. And if something goes wrong, having that mentality of I can ask for help. We tell our children all the time, ask me for help, ask me for help. But then when we go out with them, are we modeling that? If you need help, do you ask for help? And I think when our kids can see us asking that stranger, hey, could you help me? I've gotten in over my head. They will. I have never had anyone say no to me. I was at the Children's Museum and Matt just started in on that runny nose. He was the kid with the runny nose at the Children's Museum. I looked horrible. (laughs) And I said to the mom next to me, I said, I have no Kleenex. And she laughed and she gave me her entire pack of Kleenex from her bag. And she said, it's okay. Here you go gave it right to me. And I, you know, I had a dad once help us out at Target. He, I'd gotten this big lamp and then I realized at the 11th hour that there was no way I was going to make it to my car. (laughs) And he happily walked us out to the car laughing the whole way. He'd had three kids one day, you know, long ago, blah, 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 blah. And what value to show my children that strangers will help. Someone is there to help you. You can always ask for help. There will always be a kind person there in the world to help you. And they're socializing with that stranger at that time. You know, who isn't a scary person? This isn't a dangerous person. This is just someone offering to sit with you and feed you goldfish crackers on a park bench while your mother tries to nurse a three-week-old that she never should have left the house with. (laughs) And I will always be grateful for that woman. And then the other way that I think that we can really, if you are tentative about taking your kids out, and this just seems like a mountain that you're not ready to climb yet, climb it with a friend. Either find a friend who's doing these activities outside of the house and is proficient at going to these places and ask ask them to go with you. Ask them if you can tag along. Or if you and another friend are both just, you're not quite there yet, go together. My friends and I, we always have called them bad decision play dates, <laughs> where we decide to do something we've never done before with minimal prep, and we're just going to take all eight kids and we're going to hope for the best. <laughs> And we've long we've long called them these bad decision play dates that like and not that it is a bad decision, but probably our execution is not exactly flawless. You know, we ended up one time missing so many ferries. It was like a 10 hour adventure to and from an island. (laughs) It was one of the most memorable days. One child ended up having to pee in a garbage bag. 
it was definitely a bad decision and we just kept rolling with it we were like let's double down now and take him to a sit-down restaurant <laughs> oh, wow. and it's some of the happiest memories that i will carry that with me for the rest of my motherhood these bad decision days that we've done where we've leaned on each other we've had three moms eight kids we can climb any mountain that they throw at us. There's always someone to help. And so the more that we can ask our friends and be honest with our friends and say, hey, do you want to do this with me? Let's take our kids out into the world and let's do it together. Your kids are going to be all the better for it. I like that you call it adventure days because it makes it, there's like an element of the unknown and that's okay because it's an adventure. Oh, it is. And like it versus- It is. And Kate was just- Oh, go ahead. Oh, Kate was just saying this morning, what's our next adventure day? And because this week has just been really thrown off for us and we, we haven't left the house, you know, people have been sick, things have been happening. And I was like, I don't know, Kate, where are we going to go? And and so it's just, they love that. And it, it does, it helps break up the week. You know, parenting at home can feel a bit like Groundhog's Day sometimes. And we just like, we're stuck as Bill Murray and we're waking up with the same day yeah, over yeah, and over yeah. again. But man, you throw in an adventure day and your whole week can change just like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it helps set expectations too. Like if you're expecting it to look exactly like like the picture in your head and it doesn't, then you're all let down. But if it's an adventure, if it's a bad play date, if it's a bad play date, then you're just like, whatever happens, happens. We're going to roll yeah. with the punches. Kids are kids. Fine to be two, whatever. And we're just roll with it. And then, then you make it an adventure because it's fun. But you know what? And I, it's those adventures that Dallin and I have accidentally been on with our kids where we forgot the baby bag or we didn't bring the stroller. Or we didn't have the ergo baby. Don't have shoes on. And we realized we're fine without all that stuff and we can still have fun. Yeah. And you don't need to be like 17 times, a million times prepped to go on anything. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, suddenly nice. you realize, oh, you know, I don't need the stroller to go to the library. We're going to make do and it's going to be OK. And we're going to we're going to roll with it. Right. I think rolling with it is one of the best things we can learn in parenthood. I always tell people that you want to have rigid flexibility. So you want to have a routine for your kids and you want to have a basic outline of your day. But you also want to be flexible within that to see the joy and see the magic. You know, nap time at my house is every day at one o'clock. But maybe we're going to the fair. So, eh. No, we'll, we'll do naps another time. You know, they'll nap on their way back. And we have a bit of that flexibility within our parenthood. You know, we want to be routine and we want to keep things consistent for our kids. But at the same time, we need to see the joy in spontaneity. And we need to see the joy in saying yes to an adventure and saying yes to something as opposed to just always staying within our zone. We can get out of that comfort zone and we can invite our children to experience an incredible world. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is our last question for you. Um, okay. I remember seeing once on your in, in your Instagram stories where you talked about kind of how you're like the stay-at-home mom for until your husband gets home, and then as soon as he gets home, he kind of takes over, mm -hmm. and, and you kind of get a break time. I, I want to know like how you guys came to figure out, well, like what is your system and how you came to figure it out, um, and just like what your guys' best practices are for being a parenting team. So... Yeah, I am going to give all credit to my husband. He just has an incredible way of looking at children and his role and coming back home and truly that this is every bit a team effort. Um, I joke and my friends all will tell you 100% that he's the better parent <laughs> and they'll all laugh that like I'm the parent in this role but they're like really could you ask Chuck to let me know you know he's the one that read every baby book he's the one that read everything and you know when it came to like 
putting in car seats and stuff, we'd have friends calling. They'd be like, hey, can you have Chuck come over and check that I got the lock off clip right now? <laughs> because that's Chuck. And I mean, my friends, even nursing would be like, ask Chuck if he read. Is it normal for? I mean, we're talking like that level of commitment to parenting. Like this guy is like above and beyond. He's like the unofficial and doctor. And that's just. No, he, he he's that's just who he is. He loves he's like Sam. He's like my oldest. He loves information. He loves facts. He loves knowledge. And he just loves being a part of everything. And so he figured out really quickly, really without me ever having to say anything, that he has this chance every morning to leave the house and he gets a 45 minute commute by himself. And then during his day, he gets up from his desk whenever he feels like it. He goes to the bathroom without an audience. He gets to have his lunch without someone poking it or trying to share. He gets to sit during lunch. He's not, like, standing behind a counter eating, like, the crust of bread. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, been sitting there for an hour. And, he, you know, he gets to have these break times. And then he gets to get back in his car and he gets to drive home for another 45 minutes by himself listening to his music and singing his songs and thinking about his life and things like that. And he knows that during the day, I'm not getting that. I don't. I wake up at 730 and I start my day. It begins. And I'm in charge of all these little people. And I don't get to go to the bathroom by myself. And I don't get to eat lunch by myself. And I don't get to eat a lunch sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't happen for me or I'm truly eating the entrails as I'm throwing away their plate. You know, it's a very classy operation around here during the day. Mm-hmm. Sounds like ours. And I, <laughs> I don't have the same autonomy with my life during that window of time that he's away from us that he does. And I'm also with our children. And he values his role so much that when he gets home, he wants a chance to have that quote unquote power position. And one of the ways that we figured out to kind of make it so that the children see us as equals and it's not, well, mom's in charge. And then, you know, dad's kind of like the fun guy that comes home and he's like, you know, mom's in charge. And then there's dad. Like, no, we want it to be mom and dad. And so by him taking those couple of hours when he gets home from dinner on until they go to bed, for him to be more of like the lead parent and I'm more in the background, like getting out the pajamas and, you know, helping him as as he needs help, it really has given the kids a better understanding that this is a team effort, that we are one person, we are very united, we're a united front, and there isn't kind of like a power dynamic or a, you know, a, a push against each other that like, well, I'm trying to get him to help or, you know, he doesn't know how to help. No, he is as every bit as equal as I am. And that started truly from the moment that Sam was born and and he left and came back home. He immediately picked up that role to be there for Sam for the entire remainder of the night and the evening. You know, yes, I'm getting up and I'm nursing and things like that, but he would get up and he was helping and he's doing the diaper change and he's doing this to keep everything 100% 50-50. Our biggest thing since the day we got married, I mean, even back when we were in college dating, was just that you never do anything that's going to throw the other person under the bus. And you're never going to do anything that's going to make it any bit harder for the other person than the load that they're already carrying. You will do everything possible to lighten their burden. And so that's the way that we help lighten each other's burden. You know, I have dinner ready when he gets home and that helps lighten his burden for when he gets home and wants to you know take over then he's not stuck having to cook a meal and and get things ready for the kids that way we we help each other we lighten the loads together and we we do this with great intention to keep ourselves equal to the children i just have nothing to say i just feel like we're in (laughs) Susie church right now and i just want you to talk more um that's i love that i think that's so great and i think that's something I don't know. 
like no one knows how to be a parent or how to like it's hard for me to understand Dallin's role and it's hard for Dallin to understand what I'm doing and I just think that's such a like hindsight we've been doing parenting for three years I think that's such a great system how did he gain so much empathy for you um like like I feel like when I left to where I didn't I didn't have all the empathy for Ashley until I quit my job and I was home full time. I was like, man, this is, uh, this is so hard. And I was like, see, this is harder than see I thought. Dallin? And like, I would always say, but I'm, you I'm know, working all day too. I'm, I'm at my job working for a family, like, but like I came home and. It is not the same. Yeah. I mean, he definitely, I think, and I never would say we were blessed to go through infertility, but we did walk a path of infertility together for three years leading up to parenting. And so he was there through all the struggles of what it took for us to get to this moment in parenting. It wasn't an easy journey for us. It wasn't a fun journey for us. It was very, very hard to get Sam. And we worked so hard together that then by the time we did get Sam, his awareness level of what my body had been through and what we had both been through emotionally leading up to that was so high. And then on top of all that, to add in that I had to have a C-section to have Sam. And so now I've gone through, you know, I've gone through everything to have this child. And now I've been cut open to have this child removed from me. This is hard. My body hurts. And someone said to him, she shouldn't change any diapers when she gets home from having this baby. And he took that so 100% to heart. And he would do all the tracking of the feedings and the diaper changes. And people would ask me, you know, nurses would be on the phone. They'd be like, well, how many times has the baby, you know, wet their diaper today? And I'd be like, I got nothing. Hold on. Let me ask my husband. He knows everything because he just lifted that burden right off of me and let me focus on healing. And so for the first two weeks, and then when he went back to work, I remember sobbing, being like, I have no idea how to swaddle my baby. I've <laughs> never changed my baby's diaper. Like, all I'm good for is milk and a hold at this point. <laughs> because he had just taken every bit of that first initial two weeks of mothering, and he'd put it all on himself to try to balance out our loads and try to, from day one, make it even. He He's such an incredible person. And for him to just be able to understand that and to see that, he's so good at, he's always been good at puzzles and seeing all the different pieces to everything. And this was one time where he just really hit the nail on the head for being able to see exactly where his piece to this family puzzle fit in and exactly what his role needed to be. And it needed to be equal to mine and it needed to be in support of my role. And it's just been a true team effort. There's never a moment where I feel like I'm carrying a bigger burden or he's carrying a bigger burden. We carry this together. I always talk about busy toddler and I always say things like, well, we are or we're doing. And when I say that, I'm talking about Chuck and me, even though you don't see him, he's behind the scenes. You know, he's helping to manage different pieces of it. He's doing his load. Again, anything to help with my burden on my life. We just always want to help each other through those times where we can do any bit to help the other person i love that Man. i think that's so good i think you guys should teach a course <laughs> you should we've had a good run we've had a good run that's so cool man well thank you so much for taking this time um i know that like for for everybody listening wanting to go and and go check out what you're all about like where should we send them i know we got busytoddler.com we got busytoddler on instagram you have uh 
you have play school curriculums, correct? Pre- preschool. Playing I do. Preschool. I have preschool curriculums. Yeah. Talk about playing that a little preschool bit. is my preschool curriculum that I made because I wanted to give parents a better option for doing play-based learning at home. Learning that takes your child away from that kind of direct instruction, memorization into a more play-based, we're going to give the child background knowledge. I looked at preschools. In my area, preschools are so expensive. Mm-hmm. And for me to spend, to send my kids to multiple years times three kids, it was going to cost us 30 something thousand dollars. And I don't have that (laughs) to spend on preschools. So I thought there's going to be a better way. And I started writing this curriculum to give parents this chance. Parents who don't aren't teachers. I wanted, I, you know, every time I would write a lesson, I would think about my little sister who's not a teacher. She's a great mom. She's not a teacher. And I would think, can, can she apply this? Yes. If she can apply this, then, you know, I know that it's going to work for anybody who doesn't have a teaching degree. And so I wrote this program and I sat with my mom when we started writing it. And I said, let's think of every skill that we want a child to have before they enter kindergarten. And we started writing them out and not any, not a single skill we listed had anything to do with a memorized, like we want them to learn their letters or numbers. It was nothing like that. It was we want them to learn how to sort, to classify, to measure, to understand data, to be able to apply cause and effect, things like that. And so I started writing these lessons around what I call the thinking skills, skills that are going to make a child think. We have so many kids in early childhood that do that rote memorization, but let's take them really deep in their learning. Let's take them, you know, an inch wide and a mile deep with what they're what they're learning instead of just focusing on those surface levels. Let's just really, really, really open them up to those thinking skills. So I wrote Playing Preschool and then it was such a success that I immediately started writing the second year of it. And so that's what I have out right now is I have Playing Preschool Year One and Playing Preschool Year Two. And those are for sale on my website. And then I'm going to tell you guys this, and you're the first people I'm going to tell this to. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Yes. <laughs> so, so in fall of 2020, my parenting book will be published. No way. And it is. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah, it congrats. is You'll have to come back an on when you're releasing it and talk all about it. I would be honored to come back on. It's called Busy Toddler's Guide to Actual Parenting. So they cool. just want to help parents to apply parenting in a really fun and confident way without feeling like you're failing all the time. There's nothing worse than questioning your parenting. And I just want to, you know, lift up parents and, and help put them in a good space as they walk this very, very interesting road that we're all walking together. So that's what's to come for me. Wow. I'm, very I'm excited. Good to job, it. Susie. That's awesome. Thank you. I know I haven't really talked about it at all, but it's very exciting. From two podcasters, I think you would have a highly successful podcast as well. If you ever <laughs> wanted to you. get that's, into that. I think that's you would my hope it. someday. <laughs> Thank you. That's my hope someday is I really do want to put out some sort of a podcast. But at cool. this point, I would need like five other hours in the day. Yeah. I already need a solid another 10 to get through what I have to get through. So I'm kind of like, I got to get through publishing this book and then and then we'll see you know what the future holds that's That's always something else to to do man cool thank you so much again for taking this time and uh, we'll put again all the links in the show notes to your website and instagram and and the things we've talked about and uh it's been a real pleasure Susie. thank you so much yeah good luck picking your kids up from school so happy oh thank you so much i'm very you know that drop-off, that drop-off pickup line, it is for reals. <laughs> yeah. It is for reals. All right, we'll see you <laughs> okay, later, sweet. Susie.